welcome to Deep Rooted Healing, a contemplative podcast exploring the healing bridges that connect the body, mind, heart, and soul, including creative practices, touch, nature, spirituality, and community. I'm Emma Freeman, an artist, poet, massage therapist, and Reiki practitioner. I'm a highly sensitive person and sober. This podcast is a record of my own unfolding spiritual journey. May it be supportive for you in some way. I'm so glad you're here. Well, hello. (laughs) I am back on the podcast. Um, I think it's funny when people say that sometimes because I don't usually notice breaks because, you know, life. But anyways, I've taken a long break, so I have felt that and wanted to come back and share something that I'm very deep into right now and very inspired by, which is wabi-sabi art making. And I wanted to talk about what wabi-sabi is and what I love about it and what I love about it with my own art making practice and hope that it inspires you, maybe, Um, some little nugget. Maybe you already explore wabi-sabi or maybe it's totally new to you but I'll share um, from my heart and hope that it reaches you in some way. So um, I discovered wabi-sabi, I'd heard the term many times, but I didn't really know what it meant until last year I started doing a deep dive into researching it and exploring it and really started to notice that it was really resonating with me, with my state of being, with this new stillness and silence I was finding in my life that I've talked about before. Um, I was noticing some threads of connection just naturally with what was happening in my own life and what I was reading about with Wabi Sabi. So I'll share more about those as we go along. Um, So what is Wabi Sabi? (laughs) For those who don't know, It's an ancient Japanese aesthetic philosophy that's deeply rooted in Zen Buddhism that emerged inside the Zen Buddhist temples of Japan somewhere around the 13th century. From what I've read, that timing is flexible, but somewhere around there. Um, It's really a way of being and a way of experiencing the world and a way of creating things within the world that's gentle, peaceful, and authentic. And it really celebrates imperfection, simplicity, humility, earthiness, and the natural flow of life that we see in nature all around us. And it embraces that everything is in constant motion, either coming from or returning to nothingness, where all of that creative energy of the universe lives. So nothingness is not meant to be a void of something, but really a charged space of the unknown where everything all life emerges from and so it's that um it's like the the realm of possibilities i like to think of it that way too so it's a really exciting and dynamic and vibrant and alive space so what does wabi-sabi mean actually the words well wabi refers to a spiritual way of life It's the inner world. It's a philosophical framework. So it's all about the inner. And then sabi refers to the outer. So it's the material objects, um, the outer world, and aesthetic ideal. So when they're combined together, it's that beautiful blend of inner and outer. And 
Um, one of the books that I love about Wabi Sabi that I've read um, is called Wabi Sabi for Artists, Designers, Poets, and Philosophers by Leonard Corin, and that's where I adapted this meaning from. It's a really great resource if you haven't read it and you're interested in Wabi Sabi. So Wabi Sabi art is all about raising spiritual awareness with the energies the pieces hold and enhancing the physical environment the objects are in as well. So making spaces beautiful and serene and calming and deep while also really holding this charge or energy of the creative spirit and of nature and all of these qualities that we'll get into so it's a really beautiful blend of having a physical, tangible thing to look at, to feel, to touch, to notice. But then it also has the spiritual, energetic component to it. And it's, um, it's a combination of the work that nature does. So the, the materials you see in Wabi Sabi art are natural materials often weathered or worn down over time, distressed by just the natural elements. And it's combining that and really appreciating and noticing those stories that are happening in nature. And then it's stepping in as a human and bringing to those materials some extra energy, some extra effort, some molding, some intention. So it's not just about what we find in nature, like picking up a stick that looks, has an interesting pattern. It's what we can make from that stick then and have a conversation between the two. And I love that as well, that it's not about just me having to come up with the whole concept and then it being only about me expressing myself. This way of creating is really about that deep innate connection with the natural world because obviously we're animals but we and we are nature but we've been so removed from it in the western world and I feel like I'm in this process of constantly lately returning to nature what that means for me and my body and my being and this way of creating really is such a beautiful way to do that to explore that I hope that makes sense I love this quote from the same book I mentioned. Wabi Sabi suggests that beauty is a dynamic event that occurs between you and something else. Beauty can spontaneously occur at any moment given the proper circumstances, context, or point of view. Beauty is thus an altered state of consciousness, an extraordinary moment of poetry and grace by Leonard Corin from Wabi Sabi for artists, designers, poets, and philosophers. I love that quote because it's all about the, that like waiting for that dynamic event of beauty to arrive, which happens in the art making process all the time, right? If you make art, you know that, you feel that when you're working with materials, whatever it is, and suddenly something new happens or something emerges or um, you notice something and, it, and you feel it. I can feel it in my body and I don't know where it came from. I couldn't predict it or plan it, but it's there and it makes me feel connected and alive and inspired. And it stirs up my whole being and makes me feel really like um, charged, but also just like a deep sense of connection, I guess is the way that it feels to me. I'm curious what that brings up for you. So 
Um, a little bit more about the history of wabi-sabi. So in Japan in the 13th century, I read, there were Zen Buddhist temples that were underfunded. And some stories say that the monks who lived there needed to entertain guests but couldn't afford art to decorate the temple. So they looked to nature, which was around the temple, and gathered pieces of things like bamboo and wildflowers. And they realized how beautiful and simple what they ended up using was and continued to do that when guests came. That's how the wabi-sabi aesthetic emerged, or so some stories go, really out of necessity and being resourceful and really tuning into the environment, really being present in the moment and looking through, you know, with that intention of, of seeking out beauty and then suddenly noticing like, oh, look at all this beauty around me, even, you know, in something that I may have overlooked. That's how I interpret that. So one of the qualities of wabi-sabi, there's a bunch of them, so I'm going to mention all of them here briefly. One of them is simplicity. So this quote from that same book by Leonard Corrin is fabulous. Pare down to the essence, but don't remove the poetry. It doesn't mean removing the invisible connective tissue that somehow binds the elements into a meaningful whole. It also doesn't mean in any way diminishing something's interestingness, like that word, the quality that compels us to look at something over and over and over again. I love that. And I've been exploring simplicity so much in my work over the last couple of years. And I find it to be so rich and deep, um, which can feel kind of counterintuitive. I used to think like, oh, things need more, more going on in order for there to be more there. But there is really a depth to simplicity that is amazing. And um, I love that in this way of creating, it's really about intentionally exploring simplicity and using that as, as a practice in different ways um, to connect to that, connect to the energy of simplicity and then noticing how you feel in different moments when simplicity is there. And the other great thing about all these qualities, they really mean something different to everyone. So they're adaptable. They're totally subjective. It's not like these are strict rules that we have to follow like step by step to achieve something that is wabi-sabi. It's much more uh, mysterious and fluid than that, which I love because that means there's freedom and possibilities in it for that creative self-expression for each person in their own way. The next quality I love of wabi-sabi is um, spaciousness, or I think of it as silence, too. And that can go along with simplicity, really all the qualities weave together. But spaciousness for me shows up in my stitching. So it's the spaciousness of um, like the breathing or breathing room is also how I think about it, like or the breathing room around the stitches or around um, in and in between the stitches. That's thinking of that also as silences, the silence or people say, you know, negative space. But I like these other words a lot more now. Thinking of that more as silence and what whatever the stitching is, is kind of like the music or the sound or the voice. And what that does energetically on the page, if it's a fabric meditation book that I'm working on, um, feeling when I feel into that spaciousness or breathing room or silence it's just a lot there that feels really beautiful and rich and um and poetic too and this 
quality also shows up for me in writing poetry. The silence between words, the silence on the page around the whole poem, um, the breathing room, like literally the breath that brings the words out, um, all of that. I just, I love it. <laughs> I could go on and on. And maybe you can connect this qualities of silence or spaciousness or breathing room in your own way to your creative work. Another quality is um, small and intimate, which I also love. So this quote from the same book is, Things wabi-sabi are usually small and compact, quiet and inward-oriented. They beckon, get close, touch, relate. They inspire a reduction of the psychic distance between one thing and another thing, between people and things. I absolutely love this because... Um, I'm finding this, I'm naturally making smaller things right now because, um, you know, I'm making art in a very small space, a small table in my bedroom. So that container or limitation really means that I make small work. But then when I started exploring Wabi Sabi and learned that the small and intimate or intimacy is really to be, can be explored in deeper ways and, um, it's not just about the physical thing. It's really about exploring. To me, this is about exploring touch, my body, getting close and really sinking into the sensations of my body, touching fibers and writing into words and feeling into each word and really establishing that connection, that intimate connection and relationship with the materials and with my body. So it's all wrapped up in this. It's so deep and really healing I find and kind of endless where it can go. Another quality is imperfection. So things wabi-sabi celebrate and highlight imperfections in materials and choose to see them as beautiful rather than flaws that need to be hidden away. And this can show up in all kinds of ways. Maybe you've seen the Japanese practice of repairing ceramics with gold um, in the cracks. I can't remember what it's called. Um, if you haven't seen that before, you can look it up. It's a, such a beautiful practice of imperfection and really celebrating the beauty of that. But this can show up in all kinds of ways. For me, in the fabric meditation book process, it's really letting the back of each page become part of the story of the book. So if you've taken my class on fabric meditation books, you know I talk about the backs a lot. I love them. They're mysterious and fascinating and messy. They're like a whole map um, and a, you know, a record of my decisions that I made on the front, but I didn't plan out the back, but it's still there. It's part of the story. And you know what could be seen as messy or should be hidden away I'm choosing to celebrate and actually find the beauty in it. And I love that because it also feels like that's reminding me, it's rippling out into other parts of my life, reminding me that things that I see maybe about my body that are imperfect, like can I find the beauty there? And that's where this practice can really ripple well beyond art making and um, be very, very transformative and powerful in a very gentle way. The next quality is um, impermanence, which I find so fascinating. So the closer, this is a quote from that book. Again, I quote this book a lot because it's amazing. 
the closer things get to non-existence, the more exquisite and evocative they become. Oh, I love that. Such a good word, evocative and exquisite. Um, so I've been exploring and feeling into this, especially with the buried books that I've been creating. Um, so for those who don't know, I make these fabric meditation books, and then some of them I bury in the earth for 30 days in my yard, and then I dig them back up and see what transformed, what the earth did to them. It's such an amazing practice. And what I love is that the fibers start to disappear. They start to um, disintegrate. And it's so like, oh, I can't get enough of it. Like I love staring at the little holes and the marks that the earth does and feeling the texture of the fabric and how it shifted and changed. And I love... There's something about these books in particular that feel like they're starting to disappear. Um, they're starting to disintegrate into the earth where everything is naturally supposed to go on this planet. It's how it's designed. But of course, we humans have messed with that in a lot of ways. But there's something so beautiful to, for me in connecting to that natural flow of things, of how just things work in nature. So giving this art book that I made with natural materials to the earth and saying, here, do what you do. And then like, let's see what happens. And then finding the beauty in that and continuing the creative conversation. And um, this also is the, this quality of impermanence, since I've been working with it, it's really also rippling out into other parts of my life because um. I mean, through meditation and mindfulness, like impermanence is such an important quality in all of that, recognizing that our thoughts and emotions aren't permanent, they come and go, they flow, they move, and um, for it's helped me a lot with the attachment to certain um, experiences or certain things or craving um, certain things that... Uh, recognizing that, you know, especially when something difficult shows up, when it's anxiety or fear um, or doubt um, or grief, that I can really feel and sink into those emotions while recognizing that they're impermanent. They will pass, especially if I have the patience to sit and listen to them and really be a witness, a compassionate witness to what's going on inside of me and get curious, like, what is this all about? What are the layers here? And not try to just force it to move on because it's uncomfortable or ignore it, which is what I used to do, or numb it with alcohol, which I also used to do. So it's really this incredibly powerful practice that isn't easy, but it is very, very healing and empowering, I find. So I explore it not only in my art making in a lot of ways, but also personally in other areas. And um, it just keeps getting deeper, which is what I love about all of this. Another quality, wabi-sabi, is subtlety or nuance, which I love. Um, so things wabi-sabi have subtle details that ask for slow time spent lingering within them and feeling into them. That's how I think about it. And for anyone, if you are a highly sensitive person or if you know about that trait, I am a highly sensitive person. One of the things I've learned about that trait is that we sense subtlety much more than people who are not highly sensitive. 
And so when I, and a great resource if you haven't read it is The Highly Sensitive Person, a book by Elaine Aaron. Um, she talks about um, the trait of high sensitivity and what it means and this um, sensing the subtle, she calls it. But when I made that connection between being highly sensitive and then this wabi-sabi way of creating, it really helped me tune into all the ways that I do sense subtlety but had never named it. So that for me shows up with feeling fibers. So I can hold a piece of yarn in my hands and just run my fingers over it and look at it with my eyes and just notice all the little tiny variations and Often there aren't words for what I'm experiencing, but I'm noticing subtleties. And um, that's been very powerful to connect to in a deeper way and not just ignore it or not even realize that it was there. Having that language around it has been very, very healing and empowering for me. It also takes it, now that I know it's there and I know it's, it's just part of me, I feel like I'm harnessing it intentionally in my art making. So um, exploring subtleties and nuances in the different mediums that I do. Maybe that's in the fabric meditation books by, like, I love crumpling up linen right now in my hands and rolling it around and wrinkling it and seeing what happens when the edges fray. And for me, it's not just that. It's then looking at the patterns of the wrinkles and how the light and the shadow dances across it and the what looks like poetry to me of the little tiny fibers that move along the edges where it's frayed. So there's so much that adds really depth to the whole experience of creating when subtlety and nuance is there. And for me, as I move farther and farther away from making really bold, loud, designs um, or being a really bold loud person I think I used to be more that um, not that that's inherently bad but I just notice a shift more towards quiet and subtlety and depth um, it's been really beautiful to have uh, the space of art making to explore that so uh, I hope some of that speaks to you maybe in your own way we'll share a few more Another quality is um, humility. Um, so this quote is great. They do not blur out, I am important, <laughs> or demand to be the center of attention. They are understated and unassuming, yet not without presence or quiet authority. I love that quiet authority. Things wabi-sabi easily coexist with the rest of their environment. That's by Leonard Corrin from that same book. And I love this too, the humility, especially in American culture where things are so loud and like in your face and, you know, that it's about being, um, you know, getting attention and in a particular way. And um, I just feel like this way of creating and that he embracing humility um, as a practice is I'm finding a lot of meaning in that too and it just feels gentler but it's also like this quote said not about lacking empowerment or lacking um, presence it that's still there it's like you just have to lean a little closer or be a little quieter a little slower to really feel that for me anyway 
And another quality is earthiness or rusticness. You can say it, you know, either way. Um, Wabi-sabi things are full of natural texture and are close to their original form or state of being in the natural world. So not a lot is added. Rather, their natural forms and textures are celebrated and noticed. Excuse me, which I really love too. Um, often there's um, tactile qualities that invite touch rather than smooth, shiny surfaces where all of that texture has been buffed away. Another quote from the book, I'm going to quote the whole book. <laughs> um, they are made of materials that are visibly vulnerable to the effects of weathering and human treatment. They record sun, wind, rain, heat, and cold in a language of discoloration, rust, tarnish, stain, warping, shrinking, shriveling, and cracking. Ugh, aren't those good words? Especially shrinking, shriveling, and cracking. I love that. Mmm, delicious. Um, one of the other qualities that I love, there's quite a few of them you can see. You could really just sit with one of these and explore it, but um, you know, there's a lot to dive into. Another quality is mysterious. I love this, mysterious. So things that are wabi-sabi often have this vagueness about them or a hint or a suggestion of something. It's often a sense that like something is fading away or just beginning to emerge from somewhere, but usually the whole story isn't told. Rather, there's space for the imagination to wander around. So that could be, I think of like a, immediately I picture, you know, like when there's really dense fog and you see trees through it and like you can kind of see, make out the trees in the distance, but not fully, it's that. So it could also, this connects to that impermanence quality where, you know, maybe it's for me, these fabric meditation books that are like disappearing into the earth, but they're still there, but there's a sense that they're disappearing. Um, that is just so, uh, ugh, I just love, I love exploring that. It's also about letting go of control. So you really can't control mystery or impermanence. It's really about collaborating with other forces and other energies in nature and saying, like, let's do, we're going to do this together. And um, this isn't just about me as a person expressing who I am. And I love that too, that sense of collaboration and interconnection. And I also see that wabi-sabi um, art is poetic. I mean, poetry is one of the, the um, wabi-sabi art forms in Japan that embodies it. But there's also a poetry in every other kind of wabi-sabi art, I think, in like the ways that for me, like looking at wrinkled fabric or, you know, a, a stone placed on some stitching, how there's poetry there, it evokes emotions and it's difficult to put into words, but it's this emotional response or the way that stitches dance and kind of move when my eye moves across them. It feels like um, music or poetry, same thing. So, um... I won't make this too much longer because <laughs> there's a lot to explore, but one of the final ones I wanted to share a quality of wabi-sabi is that the spirit is tangible, or that's what I feel. There's this vitality in things that hold wabi-sabi qualities. They're alive with the creative spirit that is unique to whoever expressed it. So 
um, that shows up, you know, when I look at if you've seen Shoto or Japanese Zen um, calligraphy, it's so like alive with the spirit of, of the person that made it. Um, but it's also very controlled and contained. And I love that combination where it is written in a small space. Each character has its own little container on the page. But within that, there are these expressive brushstrokes. It's alive and I can just feel it. That energy is so um, like palpable. And that to me feels completely different than like hyper-modern machine-made things that are just lacking that sense of spirit and vitality. So I will stop there. There actually are more qualities, <laughs> but um, I don't want to overwhelm you. Um, but I just wanted to share some of what I about Wabi Sabi and why I love it. And maybe you do too, or you're interested in exploring it. Um, I would love to hear if you already do explore Wabi Sabi in some ways and how that shows up for you in your life, in your art making. Um, one of the pieces of all of this is because Wabi Sabi is rooted in Zen Buddhism, there, there is no separation there. It's a spiritual practice. And within Zen Buddhism, mindfulness and meditation are essential. So those become essential in the art making process. And I love exploring all of that together and what that, not only what physically, tangibly can emerge, um, whether that's books or pottery or dance or theater or poetry or whatever art medium, um, but also what that can do for us internally, what it can help heal, how it can be grounding and calming and enlightening and all of these amazing things. So I will share that I have a class that I just released that's an on-demand class on making wabi-sabi books. It's a mixed media art making class if you're curious about exploring some of these ideas and more about the history and making it tangible in a, a class, you could join me for that. Um, you can find it on my website, creativeunearthing.com slash classes. Um, it's available. It's like, you know, you can buy it and start watching it. And um, we go through a lot of different techniques in the class. So I combine um, fabrics and paper and we do, we go on a wabi-sabi walk outside. I guide you through that practice. And um, we do printmaking and mark making with found nature. Um, explore scent in the book. So things like herbs, like lavender and rosemary and thyme um, and sage, things like that. Uh, we explore slow stitching, so hand stitching, um, intuitive hand stitching in different ways in the books. And we explore poetry, so I offer some poetry that I've collected and encourage you to find poetry or certain poetic words and play with bringing those into the book. We explore the beautiful Enzo practice of creating circles, painted ink circles that's done in Japan in the same wabi-sabi um, in this practice within Zen Buddhism. So there's a lot in the class, <laughs> so you can, um, you know, if you're curious, you can look into that on my website. Um, and 
in addition, in the class, I also give a PDF of the um, of everything that I just shared today here and a lot more. So it's a resource that you can go back to and revisit and sit with and all of that. So I hope that you enjoyed this. It was fun to come back on after a little hiatus. <laughs> Um, and I will be sharing more episodes on a regular basis coming up. So um, I hope that something in this was inspiring and useful for you. And please reach out if you ever want to share anything. And I wish you well on your creative path, wherever that takes you next. Okay, bye.